0: I grew up down around Beaumont, Texas. Down around Beaumont, there are some pretty rough people. There's some people that you just have a hard time getting them to do what you want them to do. Rebels. can't get them to take a bath. You can't get them to act like civilized people. In fact... It, we used to see a sign a lot. It said, No shirt, no shoes, no service. I remember Mama kept our sign right by the dining table. <laughs> no shirt, no shoes, no service. Well, there's some things you can't make people do, aren't there? You just can't make them do some things. But then there are some things people are made to do. I bet you turn in an income tax form every year, don't you? Probably just about everybody here has car insurance. There are just a lot of things. I would imagine that if you come up and down 1171 very much, you drive the speed limit and not more because it's expensive to break the law. We have to send our children to school. We have to wear seatbelts. There are just a lot of things... People can be made to do. The government tells us what to do. The law tells us what to do. I I will confess to you, my wife tells me what to do. Gets away with it. Somebody makes up your mind for you about a lot of things. But you know, there's still some things that nobody can make you do. Thought about that. For instance, nobody can make you have compassion there's not a person in the world that can make you be a compassionate person now that might not be an interesting point for everybody but if you are a believer if you are born again washed in the blood so to speak then that ought to be an interesting point why because if that's who you are you are trying to be like jesus christ you're trying to mold yourself and become like Him. And Jesus was and is compassionate. That's who He is. I tried to come up with a, uh, a composite biblical definition of compassion as I thought about it. Here's what I came up with. Compassion. Sympathetic consciousness of another's distress, need, or hardship that leads to mercy kindness, help. Let me repeat that. Sympathetic consciousness of another's distress, need, or hardship that leads to mercy, kindness, help. I almost got it. You know what I missed? Love. Because you can't have biblical compassion unless you have love. You can't have biblical compassion unless you have the love of Christ in your heart. There's another way of saying what I just said, I believe, and that is a very simplified process. I see something, I feel something, and then I do something. I see something, I feel something, I do something. I see somebody's hurt, I see somebody's distress, I feel some way about that as a Christian, and then I determine. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something to alleviate what I see, because it's a problem. It's not right. It doesn't need to exist that way. I do something. I heal a hurt. I relieve a distress. I encourage. I meet a need. And let me remind us here the root of this, the root of this, is love. It is love from a Savior who first loved us. It is that we love the Savior. And because of that, we want to do something about the problems of life. Compassion is seeing, feeling, and doing. Now, it's not just pity. Oh, too bad, so sad. It is not just sympathy. Wow, I just kind of feel sorry for him. It is not just empathy. Boy, you know, I've been there. I understand how they feel. It's more than that. It is seeing something wrong, something hurtful, some, something painful, some heartache, some problem or some trial. And then it is feeling. You know, sometimes we, we miss the feeling part of knowing the Lord. But it's important. We feel because we're motivated by love. And thirdly, compassion is doing something about it. I see, I feel, and then I do. But nobody can make you have compassion. It's an inside job. It, it's a personal thing. Nobody can make you see the hurts and the problems in life. Nobody can make you feel anything. And just about nobody can make you do anything. Nobody can make you act. But when you see and when you feel and when you do and you're a child of God and it is motivated by love, you're moving quite possibly into the arena of being like Jesus Christ, being like the Savior, moving into that arena we call compassion. Well, where does compassion come from? That's a good question. It comes from God. God is the author of compassion. He thought it up. Listen, He calls Himself compassionate. And He's an authority, isn't He? And He chose to call Himself a compassionate God. Listen to Exodus 34, beginning in verse 6. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious... He says, I'm compassionate. I'm a compassionate God. His compassion comes from His love. And compassion is one of those ways that God shows His love every day in every way. Scripture testifies to God's compassion. One of my favorite passages is found in Lamentations. It is so sweet. And when you have a bad day, man, will this pick you up. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Do you realize that every day of your life, if you are walking with the Lord, if you are His child, He is compassionate. Who knows what God has saved you from, even today? Who knows? Because He is compassionate. And then there are the Psalms. You know, we love to go over to the Psalms and open up the Psalms and get some encouragement. Boy, we can. Psalm 86.15 But You, O Lord, are a God full of what? Compassion. Gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. We can find these things written about the compassion of God in His Word. It's just full of it. The Sermon on the Mount is an expression of of God's compassion. The greatest expression of His compassion was sending His Son. Nothing exceeds that. It has changed everything in your life. Changed everything in my life. But God was compassionate long before Jesus actually came here to this earth. He was compassionate in the Exodus. He looked down and that people that He had chosen, He saw they had a problem. He felt their need, their hurt, as they were slaves to the Egyptians. And He said, I'm going to do something about it. Exodus again. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of My people who are in Egypt. He saw what was going on. And have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their suffering. He felt something. He felt hurt. He felt their need. He cared. He cared in his heart. And then in verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. He he did something. And it has made the difference even in our lives that he did something. God saw, God felt, and God acted, and he is every day seeing you in your life, feeling love for you and acting on your behalf. He does that every day of your life. Why does His compassion speak to us as believers? Why should it speak to us as believers? Because we are to imitate Christ. I'm to be like Christ. Listen to this, Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you so we're to become like Christ we are to imitate Christ the feelings he had the thoughts he had the things he did the ministry his he performed that word imitates an interesting word it comes from a word which is the same word that we get our english word mime from you know what a mime is a mime I know, don't quit your day job. A mind is someone who speaks to us through actions. who We can understand what it is they're communicating because not what they say because they're silent, but because of what they do. That's a mind. And that's where this Word comes from. And so it is our lives that are to speak of the fact that we are becoming like Christ. We are imitating Christ. To imitate God is to act like Christ. So we're to be compassionate. We're to have compassion. We are to act in compassionate ways. We are to see things. And we're to feel things. And we're to do things in the name of Christ. Well, okay, that's good. But why should we, really? Why should we do that? Why should we want to imitate Jesus? First of all, He loved us. He loves us. And in return, we love Him because of what He has done for us. And we want to obey Him. We want to please Him. We want to be like Christ. Another reason to have the compassion of Jesus we can find over in the book of Exodus or rather the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. Get your Bibles and turn over there with me. Matthew chapter 25. Beginning in verse 31, there's a day pictured here, a judgment day. This passage tells us that there'll be a day when Christ is going to return and that He calls the nations together. And it says in this passage that he, he divides what he calls the sheep from the goats. And he puts the sheep on his right side. And he says to, to the sheep, Now enter into my inheritance which I have prepared for you. And they are rewarded. And, and, and it goes on here and says this. They are sort of shocked, sort of awed. Uh, and it goes on there 's an explanation as to why this is happening. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 35. It says, "For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you looked after Me. I was in prison, and you came to visit Me. Then the righteous will answer Him, Lord, when did we see You hungry and feed You or thirsty and give You something to drink? When did we see You a stranger and invite You in or needing clothes and clothe You? When did we see You sick or in prison and go to visit You? And the King will reply, I tell you the truth, whenever you did for one of these the least of these, brothers of mine, you did it for me. Here's a picture of a people that God has invited to inherit the kingdom. And he said, you, basically, you saw, you felt, and you did. Now, is the truth of the matter that that is the reason they're entering into God's rest? No, that's not the reason. The reason is they trusted in Christ. And what the Lord is saying there is that you trusted Me so much. You believed in Me so much that You abandoned Yourself. You gave Your life away. You gave it to others in My name. And God is going to reward compassion that is motivated by trust in Him. He's going to say, Enter into My rest. Well, if we are to be compassionate, what, what shall we do? How shall we be compassionate? You'll be relieved to know we're finally getting to our passage that we're going to look at today. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Let me read that to you while you're turning there. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. <clears throat> and Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest." I believe that one of the first things we see here is this. Compassion calls for us to get out into the lives of people. Get out into the lives of people. And that is seeing. Listen to what it said. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. You see, Jesus was out there with the people. He was not hanging off some place with the twelve. He was out there where people are living their lives. He didn't just go to church in Sunday school, get his box checked off. He was out where real sinners lived. He was out with the people. He got into their lives. And so I submit to you this morning, compassion is not for couch potatoes. It is not a spectator sport. Compassion is for people who will go out into the world where people are living real lives and see what's going on in their lives, see the problems that they have, find out what people are experiencing. Because we are to imitate Jesus, that's what He did. He got out where the troops were. You see, life is about people. Christianity is about people. And we cannot live this Christian life and walk with the Lord unless we are into people. It is about people. Compassion is about people. Compassion says you saw something while you were out there. You felt something while you were out there. And you did something while you were getting into the lives of people. It is absolutely necessary if we are really going to be like Jesus. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to share what we know also. Share what we know. Jesus was teaching the truth he, while He was out there. He was teaching what life is about. He was teaching how to, to avoid sin and the, uh, the repercussions, the problems of sin, the consequences of sin. He was teaching them how to know God, how to have eternal life. And listen, we're the church. We know that. We know what life is about. It's not about the big job. It's not about the big car. It is not about fame and fortune. It is about Jesus. And we know that. And so we have that to share. So we're to go out as Jesus did and get with the people and share that. We know all that stuff. So we are the people who can compassionately share Jesus. We can compassionately live that out. We can compassionately say that. Where are we going to do that? Work. Where else? Play. School. Where are you? Where are the people? That's where we're going to do that. Jesus was sharing the things that He knew. But Jesus was also ministering to physical needs, wasn't He? It says He was healing the people. Well, I don't have the magic touch. I can't necessarily touch you and heal you you know, there are things that we can do, things in our lives that we can do that are healing to people. Jesus out was out there sharing. He was meeting needs. And we're never more like Jesus than when we are out there ministering to people. So compassion requires that, first of all, we see them, to be out there and see them. Secondly, <laughs> compassion requires that our hearts experience the needs of others. And that's feeling. Jesus felt compassion. The King James says He was moved with compassion. Now the Greek for that means this, to have bowels yearning. You know what that speaks of? Jesus, when He saw those people and they were hurting, and they were downcast and distressed, He hurt in His gut. It was a gut-wrenching pain that He felt for people. Well, why is that? Because He loved them? How is it that we could be that way? How is it that I I could ever feel that? Well, if we're living out the second greatest commandment, then we love people because what did God say? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we are able to look at people and say, because I love you, I hurt for you, and I want to help you. Well, <clears throat> you know, how do you how how can you know what that is like? Anybody here have children? You're just not going to admit it, are you? <clears throat> you do have children. Some of you have grandkids, and I won't ask you to admit that. But I have children and grandkids. And we get phone calls from Tennessee. You know, it's a sweet time to get a phone call from Tennessee. We also get phone calls from Keller, Texas. And those little grandkids are just, you know, they're young and they're alive and vibrant. But sometimes the phone call is this. Nora Kate's been bitten by something. Right on the face. And her little face is swollen. And you know what it does? Man, it puts a knot in my stomach. Because I love that little baby. And I feel that there's a gut-wrenching concern but you know what I believe I believe Jesus wants us to have such a concern for for others, not just our grandkids, not just our children. He wants us to be concerned about people. Why? Because he it says in this passage they were distressed. Anybody know anybody who's distressed? intense pressure on their lives, lives falling apart, they're experiencing heartache, there are broken dreams, broken promises, failed expectations, there are self-inflicted sorrows. It is rampant. That is the world that we live in. So they are out there. The King James says the people were fainted. It comes from a Greek word which means to rend to tear apart, to mangle. Lives are mangled. People's lives are, are ripped apart. And the answer back then and the answer today are the same answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the healer. If you've had that kind of hurt in your life, you know that Jesus is the great Physician. This passage says they were downcast. In the Greek, that means tossed, hurled. And you know what it speaks of? Lives out of control. Totally out of control. People not knowing what to do. What do I do next? Where do I go? Who do I turn to? People who need the compassion of people who know Jesus. People who are directionless. It says they have no shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Friend, I've got a shepherd. I've got one who has given me the road map, takes my hand, takes me down the road. Not to say that I don't wind up in the ditch occasionally, but I've got a shepherd. I know what life is about. I know where I'm going, and you know where you're going. And so we are not sheep without a shepherd. We are sheep who can tell somebody. Somebody who the shepherd is. Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd people are missing. Distressed people, downcast people, need compassionate people to come along beside them and to help them receive the shepherd. I believe that God's Word can only be interpreted is that we need to feel that hurt because Jesus felt that hurt. We need to care enough to take action. You know what we need to do? We need to go out where they are. We need to see the pain that they have. And then we need to feel that pain. And then we need to do something. Take action like Jesus Christ. Well, there's a third thing in this passage that, that I want you to see. And that is This compassion demands that we get involved with the harvest. Get involved with the harvest. Listen to what Jesus said in 37-38. He said, Then, He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. That's a kind of an interesting transition, isn't it? We're talking about Jesus healing and Jesus being out there ministering, and, and then suddenly He's gone to sort of a totally evangelistic theme. He's talking about People who are lost, people who do not, not know the good news of Christ. And what does he say? He says, the harvest is plentiful. You know what that is to say? There's a whole lot of them. There's a lot of people in this world who don't know Christ. Who need Christ, that don't have this shepherd. He says there's a lot of them. And we'll never fully be like Christ. We'll never fully have the heart of Christ until we understand the nature of and the size of that number of people. There are lots of folks. We need to understand the pressing need of the harvest. What is the pressing need of the harvest? The workers are few. Jesus said there's just not many people who are working in the harvest. Not enough people who are seeing. Not enough people who are feeling. Not enough people who are doing something about this harvest. Not enough compassionate people To bring in the harvest that needs to be brought in. Too few ministering and sharing. So what does the Lord tell them to do? What does He tell us to do? 38. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. He's saying pray for workers to be a part of the harvest. Well, that's good advice. Yeah. I'll pray. I'll pray you go. (laughs) Not me. That's the way that is most often interpreted. Lord, I just pray that You'll raise up some evangelists, some soul winners in our church. Send them out there, Lord. I'm ready to send them out there. But you know what happens next? He tells His disciples, pray for workers. What does He do in the next chapter? He sends them out. He sends them out. You know what happened? They became the answer to their own prayer. We are to become the answer to our own prayer. We are to discover the plight of people. We are to love them in their hurtness and in their lostness. We are to minister to their needs and we are to share Christ with them. We are to become the answer. We are to become the harvesters. Do you realize there's a, there's a huge danger uh, here for... Us as individuals, and for us as a church, the, the huge danger, of course, as individuals, is that we miss totally what God wants us to do in life. But it is a there's a huge danger for the church because what do we do as a church? Well, <clears throat> we meet. We do a lot of good planning, man. You know, way on out there, uh, we build buildings. Uh, we fellowship. We, oh, we man, we had some good food the other night, didn't we? We do all these things. Wouldn't it be a shame if the church missed the main thing? Wouldn't that be a tragedy to someday stand before God and we miss the main thing? A catastrophe. We don't want to do that. We don't want to miss it. We need to examine our hearts and, oh, every day. Lord, Show us exactly what to do. Lead us. You see, nobody can make you compassionate. There is nobody who can do that. But we must have compassion to be like Christ. Listen again. Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease every kind of sickness. Seeing the multitudes, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. This morning, I wonder if you know anybody who's like that, who's, who's lost, they don't know Jesus. Anybody who is downcast, anybody who is depressed, anybody who is stressed, anybody who is sick or has sickness in their family. Do we know anybody like that? A question we need to ask ourselves, are we laboring in the harvest? Are we laboring in the harvest? Well, someone might might say, okay, well, I, I think I got it. I think I got it. I just need to see people. I need to feel something. And then I need to do something. And then I'm okay with God. Not necessarily. You see, if we ever reduce the Word to a formula, then we have missed it. It is about the Holy Spirit. See, the way to heaven is not ministering to people. The way to heaven is believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, Christ being your all, trusting Him in a saving way, trusting Christ in Christ alone. And then the result of that will be your heart will want to be like Him. Your heart will want to follow Him. And you'll want to see as He saw. You'll want to feel as He felt. And you'll want to do what He wanted to do. This morning, we're simply going to have an invitation that goes like this. Just simply time of prayer. And I want you to Speak to God, and I want you to ask Him this. Holy Spirit, would You encourage me to be compassionate? Would You encourage me to have a compassionate heart? Would You help me, Lord, to be a compassionate child? God, will You show me people that I need to minister to in my life. Would you open my eyes? Because the fact is, many times what happens is, and I'm just the world's worst at this, bodies are dropping like flies around me. You know, they're sick. They're they're hurting. They're distressed. And I've got my eye on the gold. You know, I've got a project. I've got something I'm doing. And I'm just zooming along the highway of life, not seeing them. So, Lord, would you help me to see people need compassion from me? Would you give me a heart of compassion? Maybe this morning there's somebody that says, I, you know, I really don't relate to that because I've never really placed my trust in this Christ that I am supposed to be like. Maybe it'd be a time when you simply invite Him into your heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. I place my trust in You for life and for eternity.